Welcome to what I think is the seventh episode of the Adorium Conversations podcast series. My name is Marcus Watson. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Adorium Partners, um, which is a global friendship network of business leaders, investors, entrepreneurs, and philanthropists. Adorium believes in human relationships in a disintermediated world, and our values are compassion, purpose, integrity, friendship, and fun. We create events in London, Zurich, LA, New York, and other cities around the world, or we used to at least, um, to have meaningful discussions and talk about important issues and be the catalyst for positive action. And we started these conversations um, a few weeks ago, and we're probably doing about two a week now. Um, and this is a this is a special adoring conversations because I'm in conversation with my business partner and chairman David Tavazor. Hello, David, how are you doing? I'm all right. We're all in lockdown, and uh, I'm increasingly coming to terms with how bald I am by using Zoom all the time. But uh, we'll live. Uh, <laughs> how are you, Mark? You're coping all right. You're in. Where, yeah, where no, good. Where do we find you? I'm in the countryside. Whereabouts, roughly? In lockdown in Hampshire. In Hampshire. And I'm talking to you from my rather messy musical study in, uh, in North London. And um, I guess we ought to tell the four or five people uh, in our family who we are while they're watching this. So do you want to talk about, just explain yourself, Marcus, because you know, people don't know who the hell we are, really. Okay, well, I'll start, start from the top. I mean, I, I started out in uh, private banking and then um, moved into the investment or merchant banking division of the private bank I worked at, Duncan Lorry, um, and became really interested in technology investing and became an analyst. Um, and uh, yeah, was involved in investing in lots of very early stage technology businesses in the mid 1990s, worked with some incredibly bright uh, technology guys and, and investment bankers and um, and then I left that it was a very conservative uh, private merchant bank um, to set up a new uh, investment management business focused on on technology called Sigma uh, working with a couple of very very bright guys and again we did the same thing we were backed by a bunch of ultra net worth individuals and we worked on really interesting early stage technology deals and from there I left to set up an internet company which a lot of us did back then this is going back to the to probably nine yeah 97 98 so kind of web 1.0 uh, came up with an idea created a business raised loads of funding um, and did that which was which was yeah which was great fun and I've been an entrepreneur ever, ever since then I guess um, mm. I was probably I guess in my 20s still mid mid to mid to late 20s and um built up an internet company i mean we had hundreds of employees we had a massive what we used to call burn rate um but we had a, a successful business called kitbag.com which was europe's first sports e-commerce business which we sold and after selling that business we created a digital agency with the best people in our content business and um and then i went on to kind of invest in companies and do deals through through a vehicle called Ironbridge Capital Partners, um, and then from there, post the Lehman Brothers collapse, uh, the last crisis, I guess, um, which which doesn't seem too bad considering how awful this one's going to be. Um, when Lehman Brothers collapsed, I um, I set up a Dorian with a guy called Rob Hersoff, who I had known since the dot com days, and in fact you knew as well, David, and. Um, we, we basically created a business to, to elegantly monetize our networks because we, we felt that a lot, of, um, a lot of brands, financial services, luxury lifestyle brands, really didn't understand their, their customers and didn't have relationships with them. And, and we felt that, that we did. Um, we started the business with two clients, Bombardier Business Aviation, who at the time had asked Rob to be a non-exec director. But he had just sold his private aviation business, Marquee Jets, to... NetJet, so he couldn't do that, but he said um, if they wanted access to his network, uh, they could hire this new business development consultancy he'd set up with me. So they were our first client, and I was a non-executive director of the Arts Club at the time. And Ironbridge had just done a sale and lease back of the building, and Adorium did the relaunch of that. So they were our first two clients, and then because Rob had been on the main board at Richemont, we worked with a lot of the Richemont brands. And I mean, we over, over the years, we've kind of worked with uh, brands in every vertical of luxury lifestyle and, and financial services um, started investing in companies started creating businesses with with bright entrepreneurial friends and um, and basically as, as we 
were fortunate enough to exit a few of those businesses, we decided to resign all our consultancy clients and just focus on um, investing. But we still wanted to keep our network going, which was, has always been the heart and soul of our business. And we've probably got over 35,000 uh, people on our, on our database. And, um, and, and we've always loved doing events. So we created a club about five years ago now. And uh, we still run that. And that's, that's a club of, of friends, really. People that we've known for a long time. Um, entrepreneurs, business leaders, philanthropists, investors. We've got family offices, private equity funds, some big companies like Bloomberg are members. And then all the companies that, that, um, that we invest in um, and all the businesses that we help, we help found. And David, we've known each other probably for, I'm just trying to think, I mean, way over two decades. I would have thought, but, yeah. but when I met David, David was, and I know you get a bit embarrassed when I say this, but David was the Steve Jobs of, of the internet industry in, in Europe, really. So he co-founded Derlacher and Derlacher were funding lots of, and, and coming up with lots of interesting ideas and creating businesses and funding businesses. And he was the guy we all went to for funding. So that's how we, we knew each other, but he was always quite difficult to get hold of. But I managed to kind of stay in touch with him and he retired probably when you were still in your late 20s weren't you yeah or before I, you were 30 I, I, I guess we've had we've actually got some um you know we've got we've got quite a similar set of backgrounds and we've both been uh, analysts and we've both been corporate financiers we've both been tech and uh, media entrepreneurs and uh, we both love people so um what i love about adorium is it connects people in business so whether it's events or parties or sharing knowledge or raising money or investing in things or just putting people together for the sheer hell of it or, you know, it's, it's wonderful. And, and business is about people. And it's lovely to be involved in a company that really cares about having a good time, uh, operating, you know, putting together people of integrity and seeing what happens. And those of us that, are, that, that love business because it's exciting and, and not just because of the money, but because it's, it's connection with people and gives us meaning. Adorium is, 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 I think, a unique international network, a, a members club. It's, it's all kinds of things. It's a network that isn't cynical and I just think it's a wonderful thing uh, to be involved with and, and it makes people happier. Um, so, so yeah, I brought you out of retirement effectively to, to become, to become our, our chairman when, when Rob, Rob moved back to, um, back to South Africa. Hmm. So, well, I'm 50, uh, well, I'm 55 so, years old. How are you? How old are you, Marcus? 48. Well, you're a, you're a, you're, you're barely a teenager in corporate terms. So yeah. my background was, I, I initially started, uh, uh, economics before a bit of psychology and then um was a publisher and a writer uh started a, a, a stockbroking firm after i started out my publishing company and that became an investment bank called Delaca. and from there because i'm um a, a little crazy decided to um uh to start businesses um or put businesses together based on the research um that my the team and i were doing uh, in, in sectors like football, uh, film, comedy, and video games. And we built a load of companies worth some hundreds of millions, some billions. Um, I was a co-founder of something called Autonomy, uh, which uh, has had a bit of a, a strange ending recently, but was worth you know, $10, $11 billion. Demon Internet, one of the first ISPs, uh, 365, which was a billion-dollar company that just came out of inventing a, um, a football website, really, in my bedroom when I, um, when I was... Uh, uh, stuck uh, living abroad and I couldn't read about my beloved Arsenal and the creation of, of, of businesses from ideas and seeing them employ hundreds of people, sometimes thousands and seeing some of them still here 25 years later. It's a joy. It, it, you know, I, I'm not a great novelist. I'm not even a novelist, but it's a lovely thing to be involved with people and creativity. And I think that's what, you know, when I moved back to the UK recently, really excited me and Adorium is a place where you can meet people you can learn you can have funds and it's almost a, a sort of ecosystem and right now in lockdown I reckon that the coronavirus is going to change the way we we all do business for the next uh, ooh, I don't know uh, two three four five years maybe forever and putting people together in a meaningful way so we feel less alone and we can collaborate and we can you know all all deals every single deal is somebody doing something with somebody else, often a group of people. And that's what Adorum um, is about. And, and, and I'm excited to see what other businesses we can help and create and what other fun we can have. So, Marcus, 
let's just talk about today, really. I just want to talk about you for a second, and you can we can we can have a bit of an argument together and have a bit of a fight, but. No, I want to what ask you, you about you too. Well, you can do. We can, we can, we can spar. And and the thing is, right? We, we're Marcus has built a an incredible business where we're we're a group of friends, and that's how. And and there's nothing better. You can take all the algorithms in the world, right? Can't you? But um, people are the best uh, intelligence system. And what Marcus has created, Adorium, and I'm sure if anybody comes to our meetings or, or watches our stuff or gets involved with us, you'll find you'll feel this. It's it's a really friendly place in a cold world. And I want to ask you, where were you born? How did all this start? Where did you get this amazing personality from, this care of people? Yeah, um, I was born in Ipswich, of all places, which um, which Rob always used to think was in the northeast because Rob never kind of moved really outside of Mayfair, Kensington, Chelsea. So he had very no kind of concept where Ipswich was. Yeah, very, very flat. Um, and I left, uh, I left Ipswich um, when I was probably about 18. Was that, to, was, that um, was that due to a scandal or you just bored? No, just bored. I got, I mean, I got very, I got very bored in Ipswich. I, I mean, I never liked it. I love Suffolk, always have loved the countryside, mm. but Ipswich, I kind of, I didn't like, I just, you know, I just didn't, I guess, didn't have a great experience there when I was, when I was young, but I was quite sick when I was young. So I think I had, just had all that kind of legacy. What were you sick with? Kind of stuff. Crohn's disease. Right. Which, which I've talked about a fair bit actually on, on some of the conversations that I've done over the, over the last mm. few weeks. So yeah, no, I was, I was really sick. I mean, like properly sick when I was Nearly 11. died. Nearly died. And um, actually I was diagnosed when I was 11 in Great Ormond Street. But um, but back then they didn't know very. I mean, there still there still is no cure for Crohn's. I mean, they're making some some kind of advances now. But but back then, I mean, I was actually recommended to smoke back then, which is that's just how long ago it was and how nuts. Is that is that because they just thought you were. might as well, why why smoke? Well, I think I think the the reasoning was it kind of would it would relax you, and and then they kind of had figured out that Crohn's kind of affected people who were quite anxious and 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 worried. Um, and I don't know that, that that would somehow chill them out. I know still, it's do just. They still, it's do, they still, do they still do that? Oh God, no, no, no. This is this is going back a really long time. Obviously, have you noticed um, the recent research though on coronavirus has shown that smokers have got a lower mortality rate? Did you know? That? Yeah. Well, is it? Yeah. I mean, I think the virus. If if you're a smoker, it's more difficult for the virus to take hold, isn't it? But if it does take hold, then I think as a smoker, you're you're more likely to you're more likely to die from having it. But yeah, I mean, it, there is, it does seem to be something. I mean, this is completely different, obviously, because this relates to my gastrointestinal tract rather than my respiratory system. But, um, but yeah, no, so I got really sick and I was kind of, I got really sick again when I was 15 and had my first major, what they call resection, where they, where they had to operate on me. And, and I've, had, I've had three of those, actually, in, in, mm. in fact, one kind of approximately every 10 years. But I've, I've learned to manage it and I'm now you know, I'm now pretty fine, I would say, really. I mean, it's done under the care of a consultant, still always looking at improving my health and wellness, um, which is one of the things, obviously, as a Dorian, that we look at a lot of companies in that, in that sector. And in fact, I did a conversation yesterday with Joe Cross, who um, is an amazing guy who had an autoimmune disease, very successful entrepreneur, had an autoimmune disease, effectively cured it through through juicing, through diet. So I'm always kind of exploring that kind of thing. And I've been quite lucky, to be honest. I think there's a lot of people who have Crohn's disease who, who have it, you know, a lot worse than me. And an actual fact, I, I kind of now today, I, I consider Crohn's disease to have been a bit of a superpower in that it's driven me to, to do stuff. You know, it's driven me to, um, to do all the things that I've done um, because I was always so worried about getting sick and not having earned enough money to um you know to support myself and my family that to, to be honest i think it's kind of been a blessing a blessing in disguise although i've always kind of ignored it as a condition didn't want to talk about it but then a few years ago i met a guy called rick parfit jr who's become a friend of mine who's who's, who's the, the legend rick parfit's son who rick parfit jr is a super cool guy he's a professional musician amazing musician race car driver good looking guy and he's an amb- he's got Crohn's disease and he's an ambassador for Crohn's and I thought do you know what you know I'm, I need to to kind of tell people my story because there are going to be young people out there 
11, 15, whatever, who, who are struggling with Crohn's disease and perhaps thinks, think they're not going to have a normal life, they're not going to you know, get married, have kids, run a successful business, etc. So part of what I like to do now is, is, is kind of tell my story and, and try and give hope and inspire you know, young, young people who have Crohn's. Well, so anyway, sorry, I mean, that was a long, no, no, that was no, a long no, rooted no, answer no, no. to where I was born. No, it's very, it's very, it's very, it's very important. Um, since we're, we're we're all stuck in lockdown, I'm just going to say something which which shows that we're we're improvising. Marcus, you're in the dark. Any way mm. we can get a we can get a, a, a light in front of you, so we can see. That'll be behind oh, you. Yeah. Let me... yeah, one second. Yeah. So, yeah, I um, much like Marcus while he's while he's gone. I I had a. A seminal experience when I was 17 I was beaten up by seven or eight skinheads who basically played football with my head and I had a year of uh, operations and uh, I, I uh, it terrified me but it, it, it connected me um, with my own mortality and I think you know I must have started about 22 companies and I feel that urgency that 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 need the realization that life um, you've got to do one it can be short and two um, I wouldn't say we're on our own but but you've got to you've got to be a self-starter haven't you and you've got to you've got to make your own reality and i think when 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 you have such a, a massive experience that, that that it can either make you or break you and, and sometimes it's a bit of both when you were when you were um when you were growing up right so so Crohn, when did the symptoms start i mean they started actually as soon as i went to i started secondary school so i would have just been 11 because i was quite young for my year and so, were, thing, were, um, thing, were things, I mean, can you remember before that? Is there a sort of before and after Crohn's? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, yeah, it's difficult to kind of remember that far back to before Crohn's. My life has all, has always, Crohn's has always been there. But um, I, mean, I, just, I just started getting really tired and having lots of pain and losing a lot of weight. Um, and initially, because Crohn's was a very new disease, that, that certainly the doctors in Ipswich didn't didn't know much about. Um, they they didn't they didn't think it was a physical disease. They actually thought it was a it was it was it was psychological. Mm. And and I got sent to lots of psychiatrists and stuff. Um, and you know literally had to had to beg for help because I knew it wasn't a, a psychological disease. I was you know I was in in real pain. But you know. That, that's where they were they where they were back then but then my mum and dad they tried everything god bless them to try and figure out what it was took me to a private doctor he put me on some prednisolone which is a steroid and i got a bit better got quite a lot better and that's when he said look i think he might have this condition let's get him into great ormond street and have all the tests done and that's that's when they diagnosed it can you remember being very scared oh god yeah i mean when you're when you're 11 and you know you feel pretty awful anyway um to go up to london which was you know that was the big smoke if you're from from suffolk and 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 spend nearly a month in hospital yeah i mean that was that was scary that was really scary anyone else in your family have crohn's um well we don't really know because my dad was adopted by his by his aunt um so his side of the family we, we, we don't really, we don't really know, but on my mum's side, and she's from a massive family in Switzerland, there isn't any Crohn's, no. Mm. But, so the chances are, it is hereditary, so the chances are it's from, mm. from my dad's side, but no, he, he certainly never had Crohn's. One of the things that you and I are, are working on at the moment, uh, loss of genetics, we'll come to that later, but, but we ran your genetics tests and uh, we looked at some of the early stuff and, and, and Crohn's comes up everywhere, doesn't it? It's, a, it's, a, it's going to change the way we are we, we 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 operate day to day may even change the way we have children i don't know i mean if we it's it's uh, an extraordinary thing working out when you more and more you upload your your genome to to various sites and go yes crohn's uh, rheumatoid arthritis or, or yeah. yeah although i i do really think that with crohn's it's obviously an autoimmune disease i i do think and i have you know i have treated it through yeah. through diet and um through exercise and you know, through alternative and complementary therapies. And, I, you know, I, re I really believe that that's helped a lot. And, you know, talking to Joe yesterday, um, Joe, Joe Cross, Joe Cross, Joe Cross um, I, I mean, I, re I really think that actually using his kind of juicing method, I'm, I, may, I may well be able to put it into remission. 
you know, now you've, for, now, you've, now, you've, now you've been a successful business, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that. But, but, but my question is, do you think you've been successful because of Crohn's? Um, yeah, partly I'd say, I mean, it's, it's the thing, it's the thing that's, um, it's the thing that's really driven me. And does it give you more compassion as well, do you think? I mean, what else? Yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, we talk about compassion a lot within Adorium. Um, And we have a partner who really should be, you know, director of compassion, Welsh Andy, um, who's probably the most compassionate person I know. And you know as well, I'm sure. Um, Yeah, compassion's compassion's really, you know, it's really important. And I think when, when when you're as sick as I was, and when the thing that happened to you happened to you, I think that does that does make you more compassionate because you you know you've been there, you've you've been to a pretty dark place, and so you can you can put yourself in you know other people's shoes who when you get better who who are, who are sick. So yeah, no, I think it's definitely that's definitely driven it. But one hundred percent, you know, the, the reason the reason I think I worked as hard as I did, and I worked really bloody hard from the age of well, starting work to probably about probably about three or four years ago, I, I worked, you know, I worked 14, 16 hours a day. You know, yeah. I, I actually trained myself to get up at five o'clock in the morning so I could what did you, know, you, what, what did you work let's, let's go back a bit. What did your parents do for a living? So my mum and dad both come from really humble beginnings. Um, so my mum comes from a very, let me turn my phone off. My mum comes from a very, um, a very kind of poor family in, in Switzerland. You know, massive they, Catholic family. They have poor family. families in Switzerland. They, they do. Yeah, no, they do. They do absolutely. Well, they only and they get certainly, three and they certainly did. <laughs> and they certainly did back then. So, so my mum's dad died when she was seven. Her mum, when she was fifteen, she was essentially sent to work as a, as a, as a housekeeper. In, in Zurich so she comes from kind of middle of the country countryside so she was kind of house staff um so yeah no I mean she really started off with nothing at all but big family who kind of you know I guess supported supported them but she was one of the youngest ones so all the older brothers and sisters went off had tons of kids mm. quite early on um I actually found out today that my oldest aunt died actually last night which is which is really I'm sad sorry, she of, was of, like, uh, of, yeah. the coro- of the corona or no no it wasn't of, of corona She'd, she'd been sick for a while and she was kind of in her 80s but yeah no, thank you but um so my mum really did come from a come from a very um a very humble background and my dad did too my dad's mum had him when she was when she was quite young and because she couldn't kind of look after him um essentially gave my dad to her older sister um who was really like my grandma she was an amazing lady um so uh so yeah he 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 grew up with very little as well and i mean he my dad is incredibly driven and you know he um worked in construction from a very early age i mean obviously left school at 15 um went to work um did really well and one of the one of the guys who he dealt with uh in one of the firms that he worked for <laughs> just thought he was he was great and and said i'll set you up in your own business a scottish guy did that for him and um and he set up the the company which is a which is a pie equipment business which i'm still involved in i'm a non-executive director of um and i did the management buyout for my dad we as a family bought bought the um bought the other 50 percent of the business about 15 years ago that we didn't own because of my background as a corporate financier um so yeah, my my dad was very driven. I mean, he built that business from from scratch, you know. And it's a it's a it's a great business. The reason I love it actually is because it's a it's a proper family business. What does I it mean, do day to day? The business. So we hire, sell, and service very heavy piling equipment. So very specialist piling equipment. So the sort of piling machines that you know that you use to build you nothing, know skyscrapers nothing to do with and bridges the removal of hemorrhoids. Nothing to do with that. No, purely mechanical. And um, and yeah, so even the managing director, who's a good friend of mine, Phil. You know, I think Phil is how old would Phil be now? He'd probably be fifty-seven, fifty-eight. Although he looks about thirty. He um, he's worked for my dad since he was sixteen. So you know, everybody in the firm pretty much has been there forever. So it's a proper family business. And my dad um, treats his staff incredibly well. You know, he's super generous. 
Um, we always share profits with everyone in the company, always have, always have done. And so that's engendered, you know, fantastic loyalty. And because of that, I love the business. You know, we still run an apprenticeship scheme. We still take on, you know, 16-year-olds from school and train them up and give them a lifelong career. It, yeah, so did he, it's did a he great teach business you, to be involved Marcus, in. Marcus, did, did your dad teach you how to be, you know, I mean, there, there, there are, I guess there are a load of different ways of making money. There's being dishonest. There's being a narcissistic bastard, which a lot of probably most billionaires have to be, where they, they see people as objects. And then there's a way of building, I mean, you can be brilliant at something, you can be a, a genius but apart from that there's a way of building things by 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 uh creating real business uh, and 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 getting the collaborative uh, uh um enthusiasm from teams that stay loyal to you and gradually by looking after people making making money simply because people want to work and enjoy working with and for you and thus the productivity goes up but who taught you this was it your dad or did you do it by I, I think it I think it I think it probably was, you know. I think you know, I, I knew very early on that I didn't I didn't want to join the family business. I just didn't think <clears throat> number one, I didn't want to stay in Ipswich, but mm. number two, I just didn't think it was sensible to have all of the family's eggs in one basket. Mm. I thought I needed to go out and, and do my own thing. So you what did you um, start what did you study, by the way? So I did I did my first degree in biology. Whereabouts? And I, in Portsmouth <clears throat> and I did that because I loved biology I actually mm. initially I wasn't going to go to university I, t- I took a year off because I was quite young mm. when I finished my A-levels and and I worked for a year um, as a wine delivery man um, but then went to went to visit friends hang on you worked as a so. wine delivery man yeah I worked where? as a wine delivery man where in Suffolk but I used to deliver wine all over the country like specialist wine a, a wine merchant you'd probably know actually because you're into your wines called Seckford Wines I don't. Yeah. What, what anyway. kind of wines were they? When was this? When was this? Just, just very, you know, very expensive specialist wines. Haven't you noticed so something? To... By the way, sorry to interrupt you, but until a few weeks ago, before and we're, we're talking to you from uh, the end of April, uh, twenty twenty, until a few weeks ago, I was getting all my food delivered. I, I was, you know, I barely go out to buy a packet of crisps. Now I now, just when you think delivery of food and wine and everything else would be would be. Uh, uh, um, sacrosanct. Um, we have to go and queue up next to each other. Now, I mean, what happened? I don't remember wine. Was this wine delivered to, 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 to merchants or wine delivered to people's houses? It was delivered to both. It was delivered to specialist restaurants, to high net worth individuals, to what merchants. Did you, what, what did you learn from that? Um, not much, if I'm honest. <laughs> No, fair enough. No, I, I, I always... Um, I just love the fact I had, a, I had a company van and a mobile phone. And this is before, you know, when they first came out. And it was all good. And then, after that? So you had a degree in biology, and then, and then you delivered wine? No, no, no. I delivered wine first. And then I went, I went to Portsmouth to, to, do, um, to, do, uh, to do a degree in biology. Um, and then after I did that, I went to King's College in London to do a, a master's in international business management, which was kind of like an MBA for science graduates. Because I'd never, I, I knew I wanted to do business because I'd started setting up businesses at university. What, what, why did so, you do um, biology? What, were you, what, what made you? I loved, I loved biology. And, and, and in actual fact, I, I did at the time, I wanted to, um, to do medicine. So, so I thought, do, do biology, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't got the grades to, to, to go straight into medicine. So I thought, do a biology degree and then go and do medicine. And mm. um, I mean, I've, all, I've always loved, weirdly, because I've spent so much time in hospitals, I've always loved hospitals. I just find them really interesting, really fascinating. Um, so, so anyway, you know, my dad said to me, you know, go and, go and study something that you'll enjoy. So I love biology. So that's, that's what I did. I'm giving that advice to my to my eldest daughter now, actually, in terms of the mm. degree that she does. So, um, so I loved I loved studying biology. It was yeah, it was it was really it was really good fun, and I had an amazing time. And I guess I was I was catching up on you know living living life because I'd been quite sick when I was when I was growing up. I went a bit you know I went a bit nuts at university, and I had but I had a great time. You know, got How do you degree. Go, when you say you went nuts. Well, you know, I, I, part, I partied hard. Mm. I got into all of that kind of stuff. But you enjoyed which, it. Um, and, it, you but it, and it was it was the rave scene. I mean, that's when I that's when I got really interested in music, actually, as well. So, um, 
so no, it was great fun. Absolutely, absolutely loved it. And then um, came back and came back to Ipswich and said, well, I want to do, I want to do business. I'd quite like to go into the city because I think that would be a good grounding for me to, to learn about business. Um, so I did a master's in, in uh, international business management, which was, did, which was amazing. Did you, did, I mean, when was, when did, what, what year did you uh, do your master's? Nine, 94, I'd say. Right. Now, 1994. The world is changing all the time. But, you know, and I had to talk to my kids who are sort of university age. Do you, do you remember anything from your master's? Did you learn something? I mean, did you really? Yeah, no, I mean, I learned, I learned a lot because I hadn't studied, you know, I hadn't studied economics or accounting or anything up until that point. So, you know, it was, it was a great course because we were doing international trade. We were doing microeconomics, macroeconomics, um, philosophy. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a, it was a really, it was a really good course. I mean, it was one or two years, one year, one year full time. Did that change your Um, course? Do you think? Yeah, I think, I think it did actually. I think it did. I mean, I, I wrote my dissertation weirdly on the use of futures and options by fund managers. Um, and I thought, um, you know, I need, I need to understand, you know, money, even if I go, even if I go back to, you know, to work in the family business, which I didn't think I would, I just thought, you know, that's a, that's a really good grounding. And it was, you know, it was quite, it was quite glamorous. But why didn't you, why didn't you become a doctor though? What happened there? I got more interested in business. I mean, when I, when I was at university, I, you know, Mm. I started trading in products, buying some cars and, um, and selling um, branded merchandise and stuff. I just became really interested in, really interested in business. I loved it. I, and I loved the fact that I used to, I used to make money and I used to have, you know, friends who had very little money, but because I was, you know, ducking and diving and wheeling and dealing, I had a bit, bit of cash. So and, 20, and at, at, 22 or 23, at 22 or 23 years old, right? Well, whatever you were then, do you think you're the same person now? Yeah, I mean, I think in in many ways I am. I still have I still have a lot of the same, you know, anxieties. Um, one, what is 100%. what's the big anxiety? What is the big anxiety? I mean, the big anxiety has always been getting sick. I guess that's all. That's always been the hmm. that's always been the big anxiety. And then I I think the anxiety underlying that has been you know not having enough money to support myself and my family. I think that's mm. the next so that's f- the next anxiety it's a fear of, and 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 that's still it's still there today because you've done very well you've made millions and we'll talk about some of the interesting bits and pieces with, that you're doing and we're doing but but is it still there because you really yeah you, i think you are successful. i think so yeah i not i mean not as much i have to say you know i'm much more laid back i mean if you talk to twiz he's one of our other partners in the door room i'm sure he'll tell you that i was incredibly uptight you know, in the early days of Adorium because, mm. you know, I was, I was having to work so, having to work so hard. I mean, I was, you know, hustling every, every day and it was, it was tough. And I've definitely, and I've definitely kind of taken my foot off the accelerator just so I can, you know, just so I can smell the roses really. I mean, I, I know how important it is now to spend time with my family and, and, and my mm. friends. I've always been really lucky from the friend's perspective. I've got very close group of friends who who I went to school with but I've also got an amazing group of friends you know you Snay, Dom, Andy, Twiz I've got this amazing group of friends kind of within the Adorian community so I guess I've friend, always, friend, I've always friendship that, is but. particularly amongst men and, and I know that women are very underrepresented in business and that's 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 um not so good but traditionally I think women have been better at keeping friends and keeping in touch with friends and I know I know I'm generalizing here but I think one of the great things about Adorium, and this comes from you, I think, is that we we are friends. Uh, there are thousands of us, and immediately there's very little small talk. It's straight into the meaningful stuff, and and um, um, yeah, it's not it's not it's not superficial. I mean, so so when I when I was a when I worked as a banker, I I didn't I didn't really enjoy it. I mean, I, I enjoyed kind of being given kind of responsibility, and I enjoyed being bringing in business and all that kind of stuff, but I didn't like, I just didn't like the environment at all. It, it was, it was very selfish. It was, 
it wasn't particularly collaborative. Um, so, I mean, I only stayed in, in banking for, you know, two and a half years or something before I set up um, mm. my internet company. Mm. So, um, have you, have you set so, up yeah. on your own, Marcus, or have you done it with partners generally? All, always with partners, mm. always with partners. Don't you never, think, don't you, don't, don't you think, I mean, I, I, my experience has been that there really are two types of business people here. What, there is the, the, the lone wolf and I, you know, I got to meet several of the, the early founders of the internet. I know quite a few billionaires and they are, they are loners. They are. Hmm. No, they are. I mean, I know a lot of them too. Mm. Single-minded people and they can be, some are pleasant, some aren't. Most have a degree of narcissism or they're, they're filling up a hole. Um, they're, they're proving themselves. Other people are, are happy. There are some very lovely rich people too, very rich people, but there are, it, I think almost the, the, the first thing is, um, I don't know. When I made a lot of money, I became very, very lonely, and it was. Uh, I made a lot of money in my in my early to mid twenties, which is far too early. You don't know what's going on at that point. I, 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 um, and I, I now really do look for social entrepreneurs or collaborative entrepreneurs. And while you might make less money, and indeed as a, as a team you might make less money overall, you can still do well and you can be happy. Now, I was going to ask you a question. Sorry, uh, did you want to ask me something? Because I'm just rabbiting on to you. Yeah, no, I mean, I, was, I just wanted to ask you what, you know, what drove, what drove you? Because, I mean, you, you achieved phenomenal success at such a, such a young age. I mean, tell, can you just tell me a little bit about your, or tell the listeners, because I know a little bit already, but a little bit about your background, you know, how you know how you grew up and how you got started in the business well i well i well i i i grew up in north london in a, in a, in a i was an only child uh, more of that later or another time <laughs> uh, the <laughs> the um and uh, my father was uh, uh 50 years older than me and my mum both of them were essentially refugees my father from a, a refugee uh, polish jewish family uh, he was born in 1918 uh, escaping the Russian and, and Polish pogroms. And my mother actually was born in Nazi Germany and um, in 1935, she's still with us, and um, had to walk across Europe. Um, and her earliest memories are being dive-bombed, hiding under bushes with um, Nazi airplanes trying to, trying to bomb her. She walked from um, Belgium to Calais, uh, and um, the Ardennes to Calais, and uh, managed to, to get on a boat uh, to the UK in 1938. So a very jumpy family, a very small family, a family that was absolutely annihilated by the Holocaust um, and a family of, of um, uh, not religious uh, Jews, but a, a family that felt, you know, you always had the feeling that anything can happen. So personally, I've been primed for this coronavirus because um, I, I expect, you know, someone to go get out your house and run. Um, so I've always had a cupboard full of full of tins and uh, and and, and, uh, and medicine yeah. and toilet rolls. <laughs> but anyway, um, I I was okay. I was a bit lonely as an only child. I, I used to have um, fantasies about having brothers and sisters, um, but I kept busy. And my main fear was being bored, actually, because I had no one to play with. So I surrounded myself with lots and lots and lots of stuff. And the first thing that got me involved in business was when I wanted a video recorder, and my parents didn't have a lot of money. These these video recorders in the late seventies were six hundred quid, which is like ten thousand pounds now. My mother said no, so I just went out and worked out how to earn the money, and that's how I got into business. After after my seventeen year old trauma, which really, oh, I mean, you know, to be played to to, to be walking down a street when you're a seventeen year old, and for people to attack you from nowhere, jumping out of bushes, and, and, and really, they they pretty much nearly killed me. And I had, as I said, lots of operations and, and no therapy after. It, I felt very, very much that, you know, um, we are not so much alone, um, but, hey, that really burst the bubble. I had loving parents. It really burst the bubble. So I thought, well, I better earn some money to build a wall, a platform that pushed me above the people that were attacking me. So I don't think I felt more empathetic uh, I think I felt terrified. I think I felt traumatized. And that was my motivation. And I was always going to become a, a barrister or something. Um, I think I naturally would have been a writer or a journalist, but I chose economics at university simply because um, I, I wanted to make money. So I, I, I became, but I, I wouldn't say that was because of the joy of business. It was more 
the fear of poverty because you're on your own. So again, a similar a similar reaction to you, your anxiety comes through, you, you'll get ill and no one will look after you, you won't have enough money. Mine was, the world ain't safe, get away from these people, whether they are Nazis or, or skinhead muggers, get away, get enough money so you can, you can protect yourself and indeed your family. And that was a massive motivation for me. I think I might have become a psychiatrist, actually. I think that's the other thing I wanted to do. Um, it is. I mean, I, I think that, that, I mean, I think that's kind of super interesting. Like all the successful people I know tend to have had something in their lives that's kind of made them incredibly anxious. And that's, that's kind of what's driven them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that in many ways is, is why I think, you know, there's such an issue with the, the children of ultra high net worth families called second generation um kind of families in you know what how do you motivate them to to do what we did to work as hard as we did work as hard as our dads did um if you've if you've got everything you know well, I'm, i made a, i made money earlier than, i made money earlier than you in fact i i made i was worth hundreds of millions in my 20s i'm not now <laughs> uh lost it spent it and uh, and other things but i i um my kids grew up with servants and i and and, and i kept trying to work out what to do and and uh, i remember building a house in spain uh, on top of a hill behind gates more gates more gates and building this enormous 37 room house full of servants I, I i used to get up in the morning i couldn't even sleep because the uh, the gardeners would wake me up at uh, seven o'clock with loads of drills and screaming i couldn't walk around in my underpants which by the way marcus is my hobby uh, because no, there were servants running around and the kids <laughs> never learned to <laughs> they never learned to tidy their rooms they never learned you know, although, and I was just as anxious, by the way, because now I had a water bill of 100,000 euros a year and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I just became even more anxious. And, um, and then I built a house that took me eight years to sell. And, and I guess our, our, if we don't get, I mean, all I would say to anybody out here, if you have a trauma, right, and you'll know, because if you have flashbacks, for God's sake, get therapy, whatever it takes, get therapy. I didn't. And I reckon 10 years of my life went into some very strange directions because I didn't realize I was running away or, or, or covering up for stuff. But my kids... I know, but look, at, look at the stuff that you, were, you achieved from, from being like that. I mean, it was I mean, the same for me. You know, it's, it's not a nice experience to feel all of that anxiety, but you do get to achieve lots of stuff from well, it. Well, I think one of the things that, you, that, that rich people have to do, and I don't consider myself rich anymore, is is make sure their children are in, t- are in touch with the real world, make sure their children are in touch with, the, with values and morality, and make sure that they are self-starters, making sure that they know how to tidy their room, that they know how to exist on no money, that they know how to get up in the morning and, 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 and get self-discipline. And we're all different. And the education system mm. isn't, isn't uh, um, uh, really designed for people who aren't uh, you know, fit into the... You know, the the standard stream of uh, attainment and, and personality. But even so, the most important thing we can do in whatever situation we are, I think as parents, this is something I've, I've, I've thought about, um, is our job as parents are to create independent, well-adjusted adults and allow them to flourish independently. And I think if you're rich or you're poor or you're not mentally well, um, your children are going to pay the um pay the price so um it is a it's it's weird i mean the problems of the rich i mean people don't want to hear that um but uh so many rich kids are unhappy and just lack a sense of identity so what, what when when you when you what do you, you you became an entrepreneur right and and uh, as i did and um um and an analyst as i did it's interesting and and a lot of, you know anxiety driven by anxiety uh, and then enjoyed the process of the deals and you get a you get a if anybody here does deals and transactions say you get a big adrenaline and the dopamine rush out of these things um what do you think when do you think you were you became successful what 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 was there a line in the sand um I don't know because it because for me it, it it all happened very it all happened very gradually it didn't happen it didn't happen quickly um 
yeah, I mean, it was a very, it was a, it was a really, a really gradual, gradual process. Um, and, and when, and maybe that's, that's a healthy thing, but when, when you, when you make money, you know, gradually, I think a lot of the anxieties just, just for some reason, although it's illogical, they still, they still remain and they, and they still exist today, you know, weirdly, because, you know, you, you get anxious about different things. You get anxious about losing your money then. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I remember I was in the rich list once and I remember looking at it and, uh, and, uh, and I remember making tens of millions of pounds on one day in theory, in my name on the stock market, my shares went up and I became really, really depressed. I became depressed existentially because I thought to myself, is that all there is? And then how do I stop losing this? And I became paralyzed. I was like a rabbit in the headlights. Suddenly this poor kid from North London uh, was making millions and people were writing stories about me in the newspapers. And I just, I tell you, I lost it. I, 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 I haven't really been a very good entrepreneur since that moment. It just completely freaked me out. But there must have been a moment for you. Um, I, I mean, I'll tell you my moment really, I guess, um, was when I, uh, I think when I started earning, I think when I sold my first million pounds worth of, it's a lot of money, isn't it? Million pounds worth of shares in something. I went, wow, I'm a millionaire. And I, I don't know what that did. It was a, it was an anticlimax, but I guess I felt that that was the beginning of myself as a, as a, as a, as a business person. Um, and I don't regard myself as a successful business person, by the way, at all. But I felt like, oh, that, that is an achievement. That really is an achievement. And, you, you know, you want to make money as a business person. You want to achieve things. You want to do things. But can you remember a moment where you went, oh, this is all right. I'm doing quite well here. Yeah, I mean, I guess lots of, there were probably lots of moments like that over the, over the, course, of the, over the course of the years. But again, it was it was it was a very gradual process. It wasn't there wasn't one kind of big defining defining moment. And and you know the weird thing about making money is, you know, you make it and you spend it. It's not like you you, I mean, you should do. I kind of know now that actually, if you want if you want to be happy, this is what you should do. You should you know you only need so much money, and the rest of it you should you should give away to friends, families, and charities. But um, but when when you make money, you buy more stuff. You just do. It's like you can't. It's like you can't help yourself. Mm. You buy more cars and houses, mainly, and and you don't need them because they don't make you. They don't make you. Uh, I mean, obviously, you, know, you need a nice place to live and all the rest of it, but they don't really make. But you, but is, make but was there a time when you went? Yeah, I'm now. I'm all right as a business person. What did it? Or have um, you never had that moment? I've no, I don't think I've ever. I've ever. I mean, I've had. I've had that moment a few times, but not so I've ever gone like. You know, that's it. I mean, the other thing is, you know, I feel I, I kind of feel guilty about having money as well, you know, in, in many respects, because then I'm like, well, actually, I need to make more money because I, there's stuff that I need to do, you know, with money. There's charities that really need help, you know, like for me now, Crohn's and Colitis UK really needs help. So it's not like um, that, that driver's still there, I guess, mm. that driver to continue doing stuff and, and building businesses. Um, and building, you know, building social value as well as kind of economic, economic value. Mm. So no, it just never, it never stops. I've never, you, I've never had a, a, a eureka I mean, you, moment. You've, you, you know, you've made millions, you've, you've built companies, you've sold shares, you've, you've put on events, you've made, probably raised millions for charity, you've done all kinds of stuff, right? And, and, and Adorum itself is a big achievement, and um, you've been involved in production, financing production companies, media, all kinds of businesses. Whatever. I mean, are you a success? Um, no, not not really. I mean, I, I kind of guess now I look back and think, yeah, I've done I've done okay. I've done I've done I've done pretty well, but. Um, um, no, there's there's a lot more stuff. Fight. There's a lot. Are more you stuff a fa- are you a do. failure? Are you a failure? No, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like a failure. I don't feel like a failure. What's the biggest failure you've had? I don't mean in business. I mean, in life, really. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't look at, I don't look at things like that. 
All right. Well, let's, well, let's 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 really you don't. Okay. No. Let's, let's ask you this: If you had a lesson you don't want to repeat, a life, an experience, a life lesson, you go, I'm not going to do that again. Um, again, I don't think there is anything. There's not. There's not anything that kind of. There's not anything that really stands out to me. Really? You know. I mean, I. I no. I just look at it as a. You know, it's just a journey, and there's always. There's always positives and negatives. You know, it's, it's not. But, you, but, but surely, Marcus, if, you, if you're willing to accept that you're learning positive lessons, one's got to be able to go, oh, I didn't like that. I won't do that again. I mean, I can, I mean, I can think of lots. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about big, big picture stuff, kind of micro stuff I'd need to think about. But on the big, on the big picture side, I, you know, hmm. there's, there, I, there's, I always see positives out of, out of every negative. There always is positives out of every negative. No, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's talk about what you get, what you what you're going to, you know, what you and hopefully we are going to do in the future. And um, um, and from my point of view, I retired in my late twenties or sort of around 30, 30, 30, 31. I didn't really do very much. I brought up my family and I studied psychology and did a few other bits and pieces. Um, but now it's nice to be able to at adoring what we're doing is we're bringing people together. We have events and we we we. we also have ideas and we help businesses grow uh, either with strategy or money or bits of both um what really excites you now about the next few years we well, you know the thing the thing that excites me most and the thing that's always excited me is people i love people i mean people is people is life i mean if, if you if there aren't people in your life you're not you know you're not having a life which is why i think you know being lonely must be the most terrible kind of affliction or it would be for me. I, I love people. I love, I love the people within our network. We've got some incredible characters in our in our network who have achieved some amazing things. But but you know, they're friends. We we know you know. I mean you, know you I mean I mean you, foibles you, and anxieties. And I just love I just love people. You mix your your business and social life. There's almost no no uh, demarcation. But what are you most excited about? If you were to say, okay, all right, let's ask you. In five years' time, right? Where would you like like to be? What, do, what would you like to be doing? Um, pretty much the same thing that we're we're doing now. But I would I would like for us to have launched a bunch of really interesting businesses run by some you know really cool people. Um, and that's obviously one of one of the main things that we're talking about. You know, we've we've spent the last couple of years looking at different sectors like dementia, um, genetics media mm. um and uh and that's what i'm that's what i'm excited about is build, building yeah. some really significant and, and important businesses creating value not not just for the shareholders but creating value for society i think that's that's the most important thing for me and and having above all having fun you know because it's all a bit shit unless you're unless you're having fun well, you know, I think and, and you've got to be working with good people, and that—that's really Adorium has become a business that um, that I guess I've created to suit to suit my character. You know, because I love people. It's all about people. I've got attention deficit disorder, so I'm not very good at you know running and growing something big. You know, but what I'm really good at is adding value to lots of different things because I've got attention deficit disorder. I've got access to a massive network and, um, and I love coming up with ideas. And I, in a sense, I kind of learned that from Rob Herstoff, I think that you can, you know, you can, you can create incredible value for companies through making introductions. And that, that's kind of what I've done my whole life. And now I've built this, we've built this incredible kind of database of relationships and this incredible kind of brand and through that i think we can create we can create massive value i mean we do every day you know i'm an investor in maybe shareholder in more than 20 companies and you know i'm thinking every day and the team at adorian are thinking every day because they're all members of the adorian club how can we help them in particular at this at this time you know all these companies need help you know how how can we help them through introducing people within our network to them that that could really help them um, and the same you know the same with the charities the Adorium Club has been built to support all the charities that the partners the partners support and um, you know it's always always thinking about you know what introductions can we make that 
that will be game changing for them. As Rob used to say, move the needle, you know, how can we move the needle for you? That, that's what Adorium is. We've built, a, built an organization to move the needle for, for people and for companies and for charities. Well, compassionate capitalism, really. It is, yeah. I mean, actually, I was talking about that on the podcast yesterday. Um, obviously, I don't, I don't know if anybody else has ever talked about compassionate capitalism. I know you have like social capitalism and other, other things like that. But um, yeah, that's kind of what it is. That's what it is. It's compassionate ca- capitalism. That, that's kind of, if, if I want Adorian to stand for anything, I think that kind of encapsulates it. Because we want to, we want to, we want to do good. We want to you know, do important things for important charities, for important businesses. Any businesses that we get involved in, they've got to behave, you know, in a sustainable way. They've got to look after their staff. Um, they've got to behave, you know, with integrity. Um, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. When you, were, when you, when you were um, starting out, can you remember, or well, not even just starting out, there must have been a lot of people, or quite a few people that really made a difference, moved your needle people you connected with that you learned from or they inspired you or they became a catalyst for your growth into being a serial entrepreneur? Yeah. Well, obviously my dad first, first and foremost, and then, um, the, my first kind of proper boss where he was the guy who, who kind of took me from Duncan Laurie to, to Sigma, a guy called Graham Barnett, who I'm still friends with now. And what, what I learned from him was, hard work basically because he he works incredibly hard and he kind of inst- i mean i had that for my dad as well to an extent but he instilled in me the importance of working hard you know um and again i, I had this amazing mantra recently which i guess could be could be the mantra i followed in my life in my life lady luck follows a person of action you know the more shit you do the more people you meet the more ideas you have the more you action stuff the more you do stuff the more luck you have. And, um, and that's what I, I, you know, Graham and my dad definitely, definitely taught, taught me that. And then, and then Rob Hersoff, you know, what, what I, I learned a lot of stuff from Rob. Um, cause Rob is the most incredible connector. And, you know, I learned, I guess I, I took that whole kind of networking connecting thing to another level when I started mm. working with Rob. Mm. Um, and, and then, you know, a lot of people I've met, within Adorium, you know, Twiz, I love Twiz. He's kind of like my, he's kind of like my life coach. He's, he's one of our partners and um, I've learned a lot of stuff from him, you know, just to, to check yourself, you know, constantly to make sure you're not being a dick and, you know, you're being kind to yourself and being kind to other people. I've learned a lot from him. Um, I learned a lot from all my best mates actually from, from school who I, who I speak to every week. Um, mainly again you know not to not to you know get too far ahead of yourself or always remember you know who who you are and um and then you know learn a lot about compassion from andy huge amount about compassion from andy um and um and, and learning a lot of stuff by working with you as well because you know you're a super brain and you've you've got an intellect that the rest of us don't have. So yeah, I mean, doing lots of exciting stuff with you. Really excited about all the businesses that we're that we're going to create together. So yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's just a, I've, you know, like like anyone, I've had some really bad experiences with people in business, um, and I've had some really great experiences with people in business. And as you get older, you, you just you kind of get to understand who are the people that you want to surround yourself with. And that's what I've done. I kind of do feel to an extent that we've got a door into a point now where we've just got a lovely community of people. We're really careful about who we let in. And, you know, by and large, everyone is just is cool and lovely and you want to hang out with. And, you know, as soon as we sense any kind of sociopathic behavior, and we've seen a lot of it and we, we still see it. We still see it all the time, don't we? There's a, there's a lot of them out there. Um, you know, all the all the guards go up, and you know we form some, square. Some of the and, most, and some of the most charming people are, are, are you know, in, initially charming people are sociopaths. But I guess what Adorium is doing, it, it it's about um, it, it it's almost channeling you really. It's 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 a way of trying to to choreograph human relationships and hopefully 
help a bit of business along at the same time. Um, but I suspect, knowing you as I do, that you do all this for nothing. So um, it's 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 it, you know it's a great privilege. I think it's something we could teach our kids that if you can if you can be authentic, and you can make money by doing what you'd be doing anyway for nothing, that's an amazing thing. So I think we should probably end on that note. And we've got a. Um, I just really want to ask you one question. Um, you know. What tips have you got <clears throat> for for everyone at home during this coronavirus lockdown and, and coping in business? What would you do? How would you get yourself together? Um, you know, I think I think now is a good time to think about strategy and to think about longer term. But but some people don't have that luxury. You know, some people are are really battling to you know to keep keep their businesses alive and. Um, you know, I've I've been there. I've I've been in that position, so I know how. I mean, not obviously in, in, in a crisis of this scale, but you know, I was in this I was in this position in two thousand when the internet bubble burst, and I was in this position in in two thousand eight when when Lehman's went bust. So I, I do understand how difficult it is to um, how difficult it is to to get through tough periods like this. But um, but it's a good time to kind of you know, to think about things, to try and to try and have some kind of clarity. Um, I think it's really important to to be in the moment and um, you know, appreciate everything that you have and uh and and plan. And you know, more than anything, and it sounds like a massive cliche, you know, be compassionate. Be compassionate to people, be compassionate to everyone that you that, that you encounter. Um, and that includes your staff, you know, you've got to look after your staff because, you know, they're, they're, they're scared, they're frightened. You know, you've got to, you've got to do whatever you can to, to, um, to support them. And, and that's what, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to support all of the, the CEOs of the companies that I'm a shareholder in, you know, give, give them, give them advice, give them hope. Um, but yeah, no, I, listen, I, I mean, I, un- I understand how difficult it is for a lot of people. I've, I've been there before. Fortunately, I'm not. I'm not in 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 that position now, but um, but you know the opportunities are going are to come out of this. Every 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 kind of major kind of economic crisis that I've been through as an entrepreneur, amazing opportunities have 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 sprung up. And you've got to you know you've got to be on your toes. You've got to you know be sensitive to to what's going on out there and. Um, and, and act accordingly. I think the world is, as you said at the beginning of this, the world is going to change fundamentally. But I think it could change for the better. I mean, it's it's terrible all the, all the suffering that people are going through now. It's 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 awful. But you know, it does feel to me like the world needed a bit of a reset. And as Andy Oric said, it's kind of like Mother Nature has sent us all to our rooms to think about what what we've what we've done. Um, I think. I think some good things are going to come out of this. Well, I hope so. I mean, change creates opportunity. I, I, I mean, my, my, my personal takeaway is that there is change and yeah, you might, you might be vulnerable um, if you have a, an ongoing business, but you need to change, but not, but not panic. And I personally feel that this is a time for honesty and I want that from the politicians we should be honest with our family. We should be honest with our employees, our partners, and mm. communicate the vulnerability. Don't bullshit. Don't pull the wool over anybody's eyes, including yourself. Just go, hang on. But also, well, that and that's what we're very good at in Adorium. You know, me, you, Andy, Rob, Andy, Andy, lots of Andys in Adorium. You know, we're all, we're always talking about you know our anxieties, our vulnerabilities. You know, I don't think any of us are are you know uh, are arrogant and and kind of pretend to be anything that we're not or feel anything that we're not you know we're, we're all absolutely honest and i think that's the best way to be you know if you're if you're feeling if you're feeling depressed if you're feeling anxious talk about it be honest about it mm, talk to your yeah. family and, and and talk to your friends and talk to your business partners about it but also we don't the fact is none of us are in control and much depression comes out of a feeling of and much anxiety comes out of feeling not being in control and we aren't in control, um, but that's all right. Sometimes you just have to be a passenger and, and 
I, you know, I just say everyone should be uh, accepting of their feelings at the moment and, and in business or, or otherwise and actually say, well, hang on, soon the storm will pass. There'll be some wreckage, but that will, that's, there's, wreckage creates building sites and I'd rather be a, a, you know, we should all be builders. Marcus, I think we uh, should probably let these poor people. Yeah, no, that was go. good. Good, mate. I enjoyed that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank bit, you. A bit of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, be optimistic. I think there'll be a lot of fun and a lot, a lot of uh, money made as well as uh, change. And uh, if anybody um, wants to uh, to join Adorim, either if you're a company or an individual, um, check out the website and uh, you'll find lots of interesting content and people to talk to on there too. So uh, thank you. Thanks, Marcus. Good. Thanks. Thanks, guys. <laughs>